This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Obviously, we're in old houses all the time at this old house. So we see all kinds of structures. New additions to an original Victorian, reconfigured floor plans to open a kitchen up. And most of the time, Norm Abram and Tommy Sola like to say... You know, they don't build them like they used to. Now, when they say that, they're giving a nod to the builders of old, to their craftsmanship and attention to detail. But as we're about to learn, building the way they used to isn't necessarily a good thing. From this old house... This is Clear Story, your home in a new light. I'm Kevin O'Connor. For about 12,000 years, most building techniques were centered around a style we call timber frame construction. The invention of the modern form of wood framing, also known as stick framing, well, that became popular in the 19th century and it's considered one of the most important innovations in modern home building. So what happened that led to the invention of stick framing? And how did something created in Chicago change the way we build homes across the world? So our friend Jeff Sweener, well, he's a great example of someone who built his career from the ground up, literally. When we decided to dig into the history and technology of framing, we knew that Jeff was the guy to talk to. Thank you, Kevin. So you get your start as a framer. You know this inside and out. Um, and in your case, this is what we call stick framing, right? You're framing with these small two-by material. By comparison, timber framing is something very different and older. Let's start with timber framing. Sure. Walk me through what that is. When you think of timber framing, you commonly hear two words together, post and beam. Right. So a post is the upright component and the beams are the horizontal components. And they're basically, they're logs, you know, they're trees. They're giant. Giant trees, and they're squared off. And then they're fastened together with no mechanical fasteners. There's no nails. These large beams are joined together wood to wood with a mortise, which is basically a hole, and a tenon, which is basically a tongue. And one slides into the other, and then they're locked together. It's very precise. It needs a great deal of accuracy. And then they're held together with a peg. So once that mortise goes into the tenon, then you drill a hole through the whole assembly and you drive a wooden peg through it. You pin it together. You pin it together. And you're left with? You're left with a joined substructure with these series of joints and you have posts and you have beams and you have rafters. And that gets raised up. I mean, these things are thousands of pounds. Right. So when you step away, you're left with this big giant skeleton of structure. Then it gets infilled from there. 
So giant pieces of wood, carefully crafted, lots of effort, huge amounts of weight, perfectly joined, and then raised by dozens of guys, men, or even sometimes horsepower. And you're left with this massive structure. Right. And so in comparison, stick framing. Yeah. (laughs) Very different. Well, you know, so stick framing is basically much smaller material. It got revolutionized when the sawmill came about, right? So now, instead of having a superstructure of post and beam that might distribute the weight every 8 to 12 feet on center, now we take smaller material and we separate it by 16 inches. So now all of our loads are distributed every 16 inches along the house. So much smaller pieces in comparison. One guy can maneuver those very easily. They're all joined together using nails. There's literally no single piece of lumber in that scenario that you couldn't lift one of. So you can manipulate it. You can move it. Yeah. And when you bring nails into the equation, it's bang, bang. That's fast. (laughs) You don't need highly skilled people with chisels and mallets and a fine sense of that joinery. You know, you really don't need a lot of people either. I mean, you could frame an entire house with two people. It's a much more efficient way of building. It may be a little less glamorous, yeah. <laughs> but it's a lot faster, a lot more efficient, and you end up with essentially the same thing, right. a sturdy house that's standing up. Right. But you and I know that most houses were actually built the timber frame way until the mid-19th century. So what do you say we go back in time for a bit? Sure. Picture the city of Chicago. It's 1833, and the population's around 350. But then, fast forward to 1871, and it's over 300,000. It's an amazing story. Part of it goes back to the Erie Canal and people making their way through the Great Lakes. Dr. Dennis Kremen is an urban historian. He's chair of the history department at Lewis University and director of the university's history center. In the 19th century, wealth is largely based through land ownership, especially prior to the great industries. And land is so plentiful that people are actually being given land in the great American West. Abraham Lincoln signs the Homestead Act in 1862, and that really ratchets up the migration. Think about it. 160 acres of free land granted to any U.S. citizen willing to settle on and farm the land. People are rushing out from all over the world. It's an amazing time. And think of that. If you come out in homestead, you show continuous occupation of that land. It becomes yours. And to kind of sound a minor chord there, you know, sometimes we talk about a virgin wilderness. Really, it's a widowed landscape that ultimately Native Americans really had been cleared from those lands. You know, the opportunity of the great United States also came at a cost to the Native American populations who had been out there. It is shocking how much land was given away. 270 million acres. That's 10 percent of the entire United States. And it's all settled by homesteaders who are grabbing free, raw land. And that sends them west, which means they have to go through Chicago. By the time we get to 1890s, we're going to have one million people. And in terms of hardships, a million people need a roof over their head. That's right. How do they get that? 
So, you know, that's just a great story of geography. If you close your eyes and think about the Great Lakes, for the most part, they go east to west. And so you've got Lake Erie, Huron, all these lakes. But then when you get all the way out to the west, you have one great lake that goes north-south, Lake Michigan. And what that does is it connects the white pine forests of Wisconsin with the Illinois prairie going out from Chicago. And the ability to bring heavy lumber down, float it, put it on schooners, and then send it down to the Chicago River. And you have this opportunity of bringing all of this lumber to a lumber-starved area. You have this place where there's lots of land, but not a lot of lumber to set things up. And so they're going to innovate and create a way to build structures, homes, businesses, rapidly. This is where George Washington Snow or Augustine Taylor comes in. Both are credited by different people and different sources as being the inventor of balloon framing, the great-grandfather of the stick framing style we still use today. Settlers spreading out over the prairies and those filing into cities like Chicago, they all needed a faster and a cheaper way to build homes. And one of those guys, or both of them maybe, figured it out. Using newly available dimensional lumber and machine-cut nails that were much cheaper than their predecessors, balloon framing, or as they called it, the Chicago style, offered a quick solution. I'm not the handiest of guys, but, you know, Kevin, the two of us could go out to a train station out somewhere in the Midwest, get some lumber, and over two or three days with pre-cut nails, already cut lumber, We can put up a structure, a balloon frame that rises relatively quickly, creating your little house on the prairie. Balloon framing is way more democratic. You no longer need these skilled craftsmen. I mean, you could just follow a pattern book. And you don't need an army of people. You and maybe one other person can raise the house all on your own. And it's a stable house. And you can do it quickly and for much less money. In fact, balloon framing becomes so popular It even finds its way into a story that we all know. One of my favorite illustrations is from The Wizard of Oz, 1901, written by L. Frank Baum. And um, in the first chapter, there's little Dorothy Gale, and she says, My Uncle Henry went with the buckboard down to the railroad station, collected the lumber, and built a house out on the Kansas prairie for my Aunt Em. And so you have this amazing story, right? And that becomes the whole thing. This balloon frame actually takes off into the sky in a cyclone and brings her to the land of Oz. Toto, I have a feeling we're not in Kansas anymore. Ultimately, a true revolution in how we're going to house people in America becomes a model that we use largely to this day. So Chicago creates a new housing style, and that house actually helps create Chicago. The two are inextricably bound together, for better, and in 1871, for worse. On October 8th, a fire that started on Decoven Street began to rage out of hand. 
over three square miles of the city were burned, including the entire business district. 324,000 people lived in the city of Chicago then, and nearly 100,000 were left homeless. Over 17,000 buildings were destroyed. 300 people lost their lives. The area was suffering from a drought and high winds, which of course encouraged the fires. But you know, there were also man-made mistakes. So much of Chicago was constructed using wood. And I mean like everything, the roads, the sidewalks, bridges and buildings too. And balloon frame houses didn't really have a way to stop fire from moving through the floors or the walls. And they were built so close to each other that a lot of the time, the roofs touched. It was just kind of a perfect firestorm, if you will, for the spread of these flames and fanned by a relentless wind from the southwest. The city of Chicago was on fire for two days. In the early hours of October 10th, as the fire was close to burning itself out, it began to rain. The smoldering remains were too hot to inspect for days. In Lake Park, they actually bring the Chicago Tribune's presses out there. They put out a paper almost immediately after the fire. The cover of the, fire, the, the newspaper is, Chicago will rise again. And in the story, it says, Chicago will rise like a phoenix from the flames. One of the mottos of the city is, I will. And ultimately, they decide that they're going to rebuild and be bigger and better than ever. And boy, they deliver. Did that rebirth include the balloon frame? Stick framing today in a minute. mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, Jeff. What do you think of that? It's amazing. Right? Yeah. It actually happened in Narragansett, Rhode Island. Did it really? In uh, about 1901, there were huge, huge multi-story casinos and mm-hmm. hotels there. They were littered, the entire little town of Narragansett. And one caught on fire, and the whole place went down. Chicago isn't the only city that burned. Yeah. I mean, we know Boston burned several times. London burned. These cities just burned. Yeah. And a lot of it is due to the fact that obviously things were built out of wood and Mm. fire suppression wasn't as sophisticated as today, but this idea of the balloon frame causing the fire. So that revolution of 12,000 years of building one way, that thing that we are romantic about, switches on a dime to something else. I mean, that's revolutionary in my book, but then it's also the thing that brings the city down. Ironic. (laughs) Right? So I love that we're talking to you, not just because of your framing background, but 
you were a fireman. Yeah. For how long? 10 years. What are you learning in fire science school? I mean, they're telling you how buildings burn? Oh, yeah. How yeah. do buildings burn? You know, you really break it down into the science of fire. And uh, fire, basically, there's a triangle, a fire triangle, and there's three components to it. So you need an ignition source, you need fuel, and you need oxygen. Right. So those three things are what, that's the chemical chain reaction that occurs in fire. And so in order to extinguish fire, you've got to remove one of those three. And any of those three will do it. And then uh, a lot about structures and how houses are framed, and we learn a lot about balloon framing. So they actually teach you about balloon framing in fire school? Yeah. What are they, t- what are they yeah. talking about? You know, some of the potential hazards that are there and that you have to be aware of this concept called balloon framing because it allowed fire to travel hidden behind the walls and basically get from one floor to another and to the roof without any stoppage. A lot more of the fire science talks about everything as a flashpoint, and a flashpoint is the lowest temperature that something will ignite. Mm-hmm. So every single thing in this room has a flashpoint, and there's a certain number to it. And wood, wood is like uh, somewhere between 550 and 600 degrees, mm-hmm. which isn't really that hot, considering that a lot of fires are 1,000 degrees you know, when they get going. When they're teaching you to understand how fire is moving through a house in a balloon frame, behind the walls, can't be seen. As a homeowner, I know why I care about that because I want to be awake and I want to see the fire to know to get out. So it scares me to think it's behind the wall and I don't see it. As a fireman, though, like what do you do with that information? Does it scare you too or does it just change your approach? Well, you know, it is a little bit frightening. So, you know, one of the first things that you do when you get to a building fire is that you ventilate the roof. So you cut a hole in the roof, and that allows gases and, and smoke to escape, but it also sort of identifies where the fire is. So the fire will all of a sudden, a lot of it is... Wait a second. Whoa, wait a second. You're adding oxygen to kind of kick the fire up well, so, so you then can you, see it? Then you can see where it is, so then, then you, no you can extinguish way. it. I always thought it was just to get the smoke out or something well, like that. that too. But you're trying to excite it so that if it's there, you'll know it. Yeah. Because one, one of the dangerous situations in a fire is called a backdraft, where you know you get a room that has got this superheated gas in it, and it's looking for something to ignite, and the one thing that's missing is oxygen, oh. right? So you've got this room at a thousand degrees, and then all of a sudden somebody opens a door, and then it just explodes. It just goes it right after it. Yeah. Yep. So if you pop that hole in the roof and exactly. now you sort of know the pathway of the fire, you're less likely to get caught in one of those backdrafts exactly. or that mysterious gas. Man, yep. oh, man. So it's not inconceivable to a guy like you to hear that a city burns because the homes were built a particular way. Yeah, not, not inconceivable at all. And then put your builder's hat on. When you're framing, as you're slapping together those walls, how are you building them so that they meet current fire code? It's basically about horizontal blocking in a stud bay so that superheated gas can't travel from one floor to the next or from one space to the next. So fire coming up that wall doesn't get up into that ceiling. You need to get into that bay and fill the bay. Right. There are a lot of instances. It's a very embarrassing thing when you're a firefighter and, you know, you go to a small house fire and it's out. Everybody's happy, you know, go back in and an hour later, you get called back. Uh. 
because you didn't get it all. There was some hidden in the ceiling, hidden in the wall, and it reappears. Is that a balloon frame house typically, or is it not necessarily? Well, not necessarily, but typically, yes, because yeah. you know it's only able to travel to a place that you can't identify right. some way. And balloon framing is really the classic way that it happens. So this idea of stick framing, right? We know that that is basically using two by four or two by six dimensional lumber. That's different from timber framing. Yeah, It's a broader term. Right. It can refer to balloon framing, but sure. we've basically have outlawed balloon framing. And these days it refers to other things. Yeah. One of them would be what, platform framing? Yeah. So balloon framing is more or less from floor to ceiling, and that ceiling could be second floor. And then a floor system is created in between that. Uh, platform framing is you build the first floor, let's say eight or nine feet, 10 feet, then you put an entire platform on top of that, and those joists, that floor system would go all the way to the outboard side of the building. So it essentially interrupts the wall system and creates a dead stop in between the first floor wall and the second floor wall. So instead of having sort of a chase between studs that could go from the ground to the roof, now it just goes from the bottom of one floor to the top of the same floor. Exactly. And that causes a natural break. Yep. So platform, and then if you have two stories, it's just a platform on a platform. Right. Don't get me wrong. There's still a lot of cases where you will balloon frame a wall. If a particular wall is tall and you don't want a hinge point in it, if there's a two-story section of the house where you don't have that interruption for the floor system, you're forced to run long material and, and come up. And that's where you have to pay you know, more attention to your fire blocking. Right. So we just did this down in uh, the current project for this old house. You and your guys changed a ranch to a Dutch colonial, added a second floor, and you lifted a gable end wall that was the first, second floor of this house. Yeah. And you built that balloon frames. Yeah. Yeah. What are you doing, dude? You're, you're a fireman who knows. You went to fire science school. <laughs> Defend yourself. Uh, well, you know, again, it's about structural integrity too. So in some cases, you don't want that interruption because it, it's a hinge point and it weakens the structure. So in that particular case, we built essentially a story and a half and the half above was attic space, but you know, we still had that balloon framing all the way up to it. So again, you've got to go in and solid block that. And you know, it's easy to overlook because once you put that ceiling joist on there, you sort of just forget about it. And, you know, not a lot of people understand the concept of fire blocking. Right. But, you know, and, and I, even building inspectors I, I've seen that don't completely grasp it. And, boy, that's not a good thing to say, is it? <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, it's a, it's a reality, right? It's behind yeah. the wall. You can't see it. I right. mean, we're all susceptible to these things. Yeah. I mean, look at Chicago. They yeah. built this entire city and it burned down. Yeah. So we make mistakes, certainly. Yep. So we don't build them like we used to. And with respect to balloon framing, that's clearly a good thing. And the platform framing that we use today, well, that fixed all the problems that we had with balloon framing. That said, if you do live in a balloon frame house, don't panic because Jeff Sweener, he sees them all the time. You know, it's just a matter of adding that horizontal blocking at the different levels so that you create that fire stop. And whether you do it with wood or, like I said, a lot of times... Uh, with the balloon frame, we're dealing with two by four, 
And nowadays, you have to fill an entire cavity of two by four with closed cell spray foam to get the R value that the energy code requires today. So you're essentially creating the fire stop with spray foam insulation as well. So, I mean, I guess I don't need to say it, but I will. Obviously, everyone wants to hire Sweener to build their house because he's also a fireman. (laughs) It's going to be rock solid and fireproof. (laughs) That thing that was invented in Chicago, balloon framing, that idea was so powerful that it not only replaced timber framing, something that we had for 12,000 years, but it's actually still with us today, albeit with some improvements. That old Chicago style of building should probably be called American style building. Drop us an email at clearstory@thisoldhouse.com to let us know what you think of the episodes and if there's anything else you want us to explore. If you like what you heard, subscribe to Clear Story and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Clear Story was produced by Rococo Punch for This Old House. Additional production support from Catherine Fenelosa, Chris Ermides, and Sarah Chase. Thanks to our guests, Jeff Sweener and Dr. Dennis Kremen. I'm Kevin O'Connor. More next week. <laughs>